Each spring, Pensacola Christian College hosts the Enrichment Retreat designed for pastors, ministry leaders, and church staff to enjoy a time of rest and to be refreshed by the Word of God. Today's message was from a past Enrichment Retreat keynote speaker. Visit enrichmentretreat.com for details or to learn more about the upcoming retreat. Uh, What I want to talk to you about is what... I think that I've learned, and I think I can show you some scriptural principles here, is how to choose your battles. Because I believe one of that we're our own worst enemy. As independent fundamental Baptists, sometimes we're just our own worst enemy. And we're fighting battles we don't need to be fighting. And, uh, and so if we can figure out how to choose our battles, then maybe we can uh, make our ministries last a little longer. Uh, I... I think a lot of guys, and I know God moves. God moves people, and it's up to God to move them. But I think a lot of guys miss out on the joy that comes in staying in a ministry for a long time. Uh, because now we're a church of 300-plus people, and that's not huge, but it's, it's huge for us. Uh, and and if, I could, if I could just hand-pick the ministry that God would have for me, it would be Southeast Baptist Tabernacle on the southeast side of Indianapolis. What a joy it's been. And so let's uh, pray. We'll jump into this. Father, we come to you today and pray that you would give us wisdom, help us to uh, grow in your grace, help us to, as pastors, as leaders, as future leaders uh, in ministry, that you would just help us to uh, be wise about how we approach ministry and the people that you send our way. And uh, pray that you would just uh, give us a wonderful time of learning and growing here together. And we'll thank and praise you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to read the scriptures all first so that I can make comments on them. And then you'll have to fill in the blanks as we make comments. And I'll try, I'll try to make sure you get the blanks filled in. Somebody came up to me yesterday and said, Pastor, I missed this, I missed this. And by the way, uh, the list of, uh, the list of um, manners that I gave out, uh, I just got off the internet. You might have figured that out. So you get down to number 52 or 53, I don't remember which one it was. I am not endorsing that one, all right? It says something like, don't use cuss words unless you know the people that are around won't be offended. Well, I don't want you to ever use cuss words. <laughs> I don't want you to ever use those, uh, just so you know. <laughs> uh, so that wasn't my caveat in there, but anyway, so. But if, you, if you'll uh, take your Bibles turn to Romans chapter 14, it may actually be on your handouts. I believe that the verses are, de- are for you there. Uh, principal verses is what I am using the term there to help you to figure out, you know, these are verses that have the principle. In this, in this conversation, I use the concept of precept versus principle, and um, this is just the way I'm using it, all right? So I'm viewing precept as thus saith the Lord. We will fight and die on those verses. You understand? God says it. That settles it. Doesn't matter what you believe about it. And that's, those are the things that we fight on. We will fight on the thus saith the Lord. But the principal verses that God gives us, he allows us, believe it or not, God allows us to have various opinions and expects us to get along anyway. So here we are in Romans chapter 14. Let's take a look at verse 1. It says, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. First, we want to focus on the receive ye, Right? Receive ye, not push them away, but receive them. That's an important thing. But not so that we can argue. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. 
Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God has received him. Guess what? You don't have to agree on everything. That is also true in our churches. Right? This can actually happen in our churches. We can have we can have variety of opinions and people still get along. But they're going to mirror, guys. They're going to mirror us, right? If we don't get along, then they're not going to either. So, uh, but we can teach our people how to get along with people that they don't necessarily agree with. And that's a huge thing. And I'm not talking about compromise. When it's thus saith the Lord, it is thus saith the Lord. And we're not compromising at all. Uh, so, uh, who art thou? Look at verse 4. The judge is another man's servant. I want us to stop here for a minute. <laughs> We're going to come back to all of this, right? But um, whose who's servant are our congregation? Congregations. They're God's servants, not ours, right? So even within our congregation, God would say to a pastor, Who art thou that judges another man's servant? Look at what it says. It says, to his own master, he standeth or falleth. I'm not his master. I'm not. I'm his pastor. They sound alike, totally different, right? I am not his master. I'm his pastor. And so I am, I'm, he, he does not have to agree with everything that I say. He doesn't. And it's okay. In fact, I believe that is how iron sharpens iron you know, is by, by those variations of disagreement that we can sit down and have some conversation on. But why does it scare us so much as leaders? You know, why do we feel so offended that somebody doesn't just buy into all of our opinions? If it's my opinion, they don't have to buy into it at all, right? If it's God's opinion, totally different, totally different. We, we stand on God's opinion, we preach it, we teach it, and we have an expectation that all of us conform ourselves to the image of his son, right? But not to the image of the pastor. Uh, Yea, he should be holding up for God is, listen to what it says, God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his pastor's mind. That's not what it says. Wow. That's not what it says. This guy must not have been a fundamental Baptist that was writing this because that's the way it seems like it is sometimes in our, in our movement, that we have to all be lockstep, joined together in every aspect, or, or somehow we count them as part of the enemy. And yet, that's not what the Bible says here. Uh, if you skip down to verse 12, it says, So then, every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Not the pastor, but to God. And uh, so, you know, are we content? By the way, are we content? Do we believe that God is able to control his own servants? And do we believe that Enough being said that that guy is going to stand or that lady is going to stand before God one day and give an account. 
they're going to give an account. I mean, great, that is actually a Baptist distinctive, is it not? <laughs> it's kind of a Baptist distinctive, and yet it's a Baptist distinctive that sometimes Baptist leadership loses sight of. And, and it's, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend. It's not, it's tough, right? When someone doesn't just accept what you just said from the pulpit, they come up and question you about it. It's hard not to be defensive. It's hard you know, to, not to think, well, I'm your pastor. That should be enough. And, you know, I love you so much. How dare you not just see that and, and accept it? And that's hard sometimes, but it's still where we are. Go down to verse 16. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. Uh, and in context of all of this, it's like, you know what, if, if we're acting like the master instead of the pastor, our good begins to be evil spoken of. Uh, verse 21, it is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, we're skipping down to verse 23, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Then we get to, uh, these are the principal verses. We'll talk about the principal part in a moment. Romans thirteen fourteen, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Now, these are the principal verses, right? We want to teach our people this. this is, these are principles. If we will take the principle and don't make it easy to sin... Sometimes what I've found in my own history here is that if I try to define the principle according to my issues, then I fail to help my people see that it could also help them in their issue, right? But I'm taking the principle, I'm, I'm too closely defining it because this is what I'm dealing with. And so what happens is they've missed out on how to apply that principle to where they are. Because I'm, 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 def- I'm too closely defining it. And I find that as a problem. Romans, or Galatians chapter 5 says this. Uh, for brethren, verse 13, for those of you not following in the paper, I guess. Uh, ye have been called unto liberty only. Use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. But by love, serve one another. Now, can I point out, we talked about this yesterday. I think it was yesterday. So... Um, our, our role, the highest of our calling, is to be the servant, right? We are not, in fact, Peter puts it this way, we're not called to be lords over the flock. Right? That's, not, that's not my calling. I'm not called to be a lord over the flock. And Jesus makes it very clear, if I want to be useful in his kingdom, I must learn how to be a servant and the servant of all. And so, as a leader... I, I need to learn how to serve. And this is also true in this area of Christian liberty, that I would adopt that mentality of, of servanthood rather than trying to cause everyone in my congregation to feel the same about the liberties as I do. And that becomes a real challenge for us. I, I, how many Baptist preachers do we know that would struggle to let their people decide whether or not they're going to eat meat. We want to tell them what they're going to do. And what we're doing is we're robbing them of the opportunity to learn how to follow the Spirit of God. 
So on one side, we're trying to teach them how to follow the Spirit of God. And on the other extreme, we're taking away that and just trying to make all those decisions for them. But I'm not their master. Can I trust God to do his job or not? And if I'm struggling to trust God to do, the job, do the, his job, then why am I surprised when they're struggling? <laughs> because they're following my example. They're following my lead. So um, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 through 13 says, But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours becoming a stump, becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see, <clears throat> see thee which has knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, Shall not the conscience of, conscience of him that is, which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through any knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, listen to what it says, ye sin against Christ. That's huge. Wherefore, if meat make thy brother to offend, I will eat no meat, while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. You know, those are huge, huge statements. And so, using these principal verses, I just wanted to lead some discussion. So here, here I've, I became a pastor of this church, 14 yeses, one abstention. How am I going to keep this one abstention guy? You know, and do I even want him? Right? I mean... He doesn't know if he wants me. I mean, if I'm going to follow the Baptist preacher principle, let's let him go. He's not with us because he was never with us, right? Just go ahead. Let him walk out the door. And I will tell you that for years, that guy was a thorn in my flesh. He questioned everything. And, oh, it's like, you know, Brother Jack, just get on board. But time has a way God has a way of changing people, right? And so I will tell you that, you know, as time comes, he got so mad one time. He, he built something without asking. And not that it was, we had talked about building a, a, a playground, a piece of playground equipment for kids, right? So I come in one day and Jack's half done building it. He's got, he just took it upon himself to go build it. Which is great, right? I mean, who wouldn't care? Except the fact that I'm not, I'm not making this up. The thing was about as tall as this ceiling. It's like, somebody's going to die. I mean, <laughs> you know, it was, it was just like, Brother Jack, who do you think these kids are? It was just way too tall. And so I'm, I wanted to use it, just cut it all down. He got upset. He took a chain, hooked it on, put it on his truck, and just drug the whole thing off. Okay, whatever. You know, so at, at some point, what do I want? What do I want from Brother Jack? It's like, I, what I want is for God to change his heart. That's what I want. If I change his heart, then the moment I'm gone, the next pastor's in trouble. Right? I, I can't, if, if I try to play the Holy Spirit and do what is not my job to do, he might conform, he might fit in, it might quit being a, tr- a problem for me, but I've really, he's benefited nothing spiritually. I've gotten a great benefit because he's no longer being a thorn in my side, but he's, there's no growth there. And so I want God to do a work. And so uh, we're trying to work this. So anyway, I, I take over this church and 
And uh, I just want to walk you through short history of it. So, uh, you know, a few years later, it's like we need to, we're growing and we need to build. We're, we're full and we need to do something to build. So we decide that we're going to tear off the front part of the old barn and we're going to replace it with plans, quite honestly, that I drew up, all right? So just plans that I drew up. There were nothing spectacular. Uh, but uh, so we, we calculated it all. Here's what it's going to cost. We thought we could do this. If we did the work ourselves, we thought we could do it. It's just going to add, it's not a very big building, about $65,000. Well, we started the project. We didn't, want to, we didn't go into debt. We didn't want to go into debt anyway. And so we started the project. And first thing that happened is, uh, some of you may remember this if you've been around for a long while, but in Pennsylvania, a, um, a drywall plant, manufacturing plant, burned to the ground. And apparently, I didn't know this, there's like only two or three drywall manufacturing plants in the whole nation. And all of a sudden, I'm not making this up, they're rationing drywall. You could buy 10 sheets of drywall at a time at the local Menards. So I'd go down there with 10 guys from the church, and we'd each buy 10 sheets of drywall. One of the time, they didn't care, they didn't care that we were doing that, but that's, and we're paying twice, three times what it would normally have cost. So the end of this building was $100,000 more than what we had estimated. Yeah. And um, so you can imagine that that might create tension among the congregation. But I'm going to tell you that we finished it off, never stopped a day of work, and never took up a special offering, and never borrowed a dime of money. And we paid for it all. And when we were done, nobody had left the church. We're still growing. God's blessing. So God, we, we go again. We're growing. We're growing. And so we're literally now just, we took and we took half the people that knew upstairs that we built. We took half the people. We're setting them upstairs. They're watching on a large screen. And this is how we're having church. And three years pass, four years pass. And finally, it's like, we got to do something. You know, we're, we've, we've maxed out now two rooms. And we need to do something. And uh, so we need to build a building. So I begin this process of preparing our church for what we're going to do when we build this, to build this building. And at this point, I don't think I have a choice but to borrow money. Now, I'm not advocating you to borrow money. I'm not, okay? But at this time in our history, this is what we were doing. So we had about $500,000 in the bank, but you can't build a sanctuary for $500,000. And uh, what they quoted us was about $850,000, which ended up being about $1.2 million. Okay, so this is where we are. So here's what I said to the church people. Do we believe the Bible? Yes, amen. Do we believe that the Bible teaches congregational government? Yes. Then are you willing, if the congregation, if the majority of the congregation says, Let's do this. Are you willing to accept this as God's will? And so we worked through this. We voted. About 20 people said, we don't want to go into debt, and voted against it. Fine. It was, but there was a majority. And we'd been teaching this congregational government concept in the scripture. So I'm going to tell you, we borrowed the money, and we didn't lose a single family. We didn't lose a single person. I mean, because 
We just simply said, we're not going to fight about this. We're trying to guide the congregation in how they can actually get along. Because I believe that God's people ought to be able to get along. The Bible says, and by this shall men know that you're my disciples. And I'm going to paraphrase it, if you get along. If you have love one for another. Right? And so why can't we do this? Why, why can't God's people make this happen? So I, I then said to the congregation, you don't have to do this. It's your building going up over there. But I'm going to ask you to consider doing something. Let's wait and see it for the first time together. So they close in the walls. We close up the doors. And we don't go into the building. We're going to walk into this building together. So the Sunday before, had 152 people there. We're split up in the two rooms. And um, I said, next Sunday, we're walking into the new building. You're going to think I'm making this up. The next Sunday, we had 250 people there. We walked in the new building together, and we've never gone under 250 people. We grew by 100 people in one week. And we knew immediately we did not build this thing big enough. We knew it immediately. But that, and we didn't lose people. I'm saying, if, if, you were to, if you were to ask, there's some of our interns that are here that have previously been interns. If you were to ask them something about our church, I'm going to guess that one of the things they would say is, it's a joyful church. We're a church that love each other. It's, it's crazy. I believe that God's people ought to be able to accomplish this. And I have to be honest I, I'm a little bit embarrassed sometimes by our movement. I'm a fundamental Baptist be, by conviction. You understand? I believe it's what the Bible teaches. But I get tired of us fighting all the time. You know, there's jokes about this, right? I mean, it's so old you've heard it a thousand times. But the old joke is that, you know, the uh, Methodists are throwing stones at the Baptists. The Baptists are picking them and throwing them at each other. Uh, that's what we do, you know? It's like we're just... Uh, in, in fact, one of our schools, I think, still has a mascot. They call themselves the Fighting Fundamentalist. Yay! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> What's the matter with this picture? We all I was so, I cannot tell you how thrilled I was to, uh, you know, to hear Dr. Shoemaker stand up and say, we're trying to correct a time in which we were known for fighting. Wow, how refreshing is that? One of the reasons why the young guys are leaving us in droves, I believe, is because they don't mind us fighting over stuff that's legit. But we're fighting over silliness. And it's like, what? And they read the scripture and like, this isn't the way it's supposed to happen. And they're asking us as leaders to figure this out. And so... I believe one of the reasons that we have had such a joyful time in my church in in 30 years is because we just simply choose not to fight about things. It's and and in order to do that, what I had to do because I was trained in our schools, I had to say I'm going to trust God to be the master of His own servants, and He can grow them up on His timetable. Right, I'm going to teach and preach the word, stand fast and hard on the, on the precepts, on the thus saith the Lord. 
I'll fight to tooth and nail. But on the things that God allows us to have, to have our own opinions on, they don't have to agree with their pastor. And my people know that. They don't have to agree with their pastor. And we still get along. So um, through the years, God brings us different people. So we had a family move into uh, the area from Michigan. And their background is Dutch Reform. I am not a Calvinist. And he graduated from Calvin College in Michigan. And uh, can you imagine that conversation? So they start visiting. And then he wants to question me about this topic. And I said this to him. If I believe what you believe about God's sovereignty, then I am, by the sovereignty of God, not a Calvinist. Right? Think about this for a moment. So why are you trying to talk me out of this? The guy's still in our church. And I've watched, he's been in our church now for 15 years or so, and I've watched as he's changed. And, you know, it's been a joy. Now, I know that's probably a precept, right? But I'm still going to approach this with the willingness to let God be the one that changes his heart rather than me. And that's a challenge. It's not easy. But I believe there's something to be said for it. So in our congregation... We are, we're a mixed group of people. I mean, I am not making this up. We've got Harley riders sitting beside medical doctors in the same congregation. Uh, there, it, we are, it's all over the place. Um, people at different stages of their spiritual walk, uh, growing at different rates, and, and all kinds of, it, it's, it's an unusual place. But if you come visit our church, you're going to want to stay. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that in any way to brag about it. It's not anything I've done. But you will fall in love with our church people, and they'll fall in love with you, and it takes about three seconds. And it's just the kind of ministry that you would really enjoy. Uh, and again, I've got guys that have worked for us over the summer, so you can ask them. They're here today, and they'll tell you whatever they think. They don't have to tell you what I think. Do you understand? Because I don't require them to think like me. So they can tell you whatever they think. It's absolutely fine. So let's kind of work this through the notes, all right? Precept is the thus saith the Lord. Principle is the wisdom of application, right? God gives us wisdom to make application, and he allows us sometimes to make an application that's totally on our own. Eat meat, don't eat meat. It is interesting to me to note in these examples of eating meat and not eating meat especially that it seems like the... Weaker brother, I've got to be careful how I say this because I'm going to offend you right here. But it seems like the weaker brother has the higher standard. And God calls him the weaker brother. Isn't that weird? And uh, it's a challenge for us, right? I'm not suggesting that we lower our standards or anything. What I'm suggesting is that we allow the Holy Spirit of God to give us some application, all right? Uh, we fight for precept. Acts chapter 5, verse 29 says, Then Peter and other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Period. We're done. Right? God said it. I'm going to obey it. And uh, we'll stand on that one. We approach principle with grace. Colossians chapter 4 says this, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, 
that you may know how to an- how you ought to answer every man. Uh, pastors, we need to add some grace to the way we're approaching some of these issues. I'm begging you not to be offended, okay? I'm just begging you not to be offended. My, my heart is not to offend. It's not. But it is to challenge us a little bit. So uh, determining the difference, here's how we determine the difference. And now we've already read the scriptures. Now I'm just going to make some applications. A is, can I be a stronger brother? Right? The weaker brother is the one with the higher standard. The stronger brother is the one who figures out how to get along anyway. Can I be a stronger brother? I'm just asking you. Can we do this? I honestly believe one of, the, one of the keys to us bringing in the next generation is for us to stop fighting about everything. And I'm thrilled with this here. There's already a smattering of people here, and it's, it's great. Uh, B is, can I trust God to lead his servants? I'm talking, about, I'm talking to pastors now. Can we trust God to lead Let's go outside of our churches for a moment. Can I trust God to lead a school of, that's made up of his servants? Or, or do I have to find a school that only thinks my way? Do you know why there are uh, a thousand schools of 15 students all over the place? <laughs> I'm not trying to be mean. But like, you know, well, I, I don't like that one. I don't like that. I'll just start my own. Okay, okay, go for it. We had... We had a, a little school, and some of you may know these histories, so I've got to be careful, but we had a little school in Indianapolis, a little Bible college in Indianapolis. And you think churches split? This Bible college split. It was like, it was, it was ugly. It was ugly. It went to court, which is a violation of the scripture on both sides, right? And they, they split, and they started two schools. And then they're coming to pastors. I'm one of them. Can we come and present the school? And here's what I said to them. I'll have you if you'll come with this one at the same time. Both of you together. It's the only way I have you. Neither one of them took me up on it. That's the only way I have you. Right? Let's, let's do this the right way. Now, here's the grace of God. You know what? That's been 10 years ago. Now there are two schools. They're both grown. They're both now they went from a school of 40 to a school of two schools of 20. Now they're back up to, you know, two schools of 60 or so. Praise the Lord. God's grace is great, isn't it? He's done that with multiple churches that have split over the years, too. But that doesn't mean that it was his desire for the schools to split or for the church to split. It just means that God is gracious and long-suffering when we are stubborn and willful and proud. Uh, C says, is there a precept in place? If there's no precept in place, why am I fighting? If there's a precept in place, have at it. Go. Charge. Teeth bared. Let them have it. It's called, it's called rebuke. Right? We rebuke those brothers who are going against God's precept. And without apology. But if there's no precept, what am I doing? Uh, D, is this causing my good to be evil spoken of? questions we have to ask ourselves. These are the principles that are going to help me figure out what I'm going to fight about. E, am I being a stumbling block? Am I taking my liberty and demanding my liberty on someone else in such a way that it's become a stumbling block? And this becomes an issue. F, 
Am I demanding liberty or seeking an opportunity to serve? Right? Because this is, every disagreement is an opportunity to serve. Now, I'm not talking about the disagreements that are thus saith the Lord, right? That's not a disagreement. We've all already agreed that we're going to follow the word, right? So that's not a disagreement. But all those other disagreements, this is a chance. So here's this guy in my church that, you know, he disagrees with my stance on the way people dress or my stance on this or my stance, fill in the blank, right? It's an opportunity to serve. And so am I willing to jump in? And lastly, am I causing a weaker brother to perish? There's a, one of those verses that we read in there. It talks about literally causing a weaker brother to perish. And uh, that becomes a big deal. Now, if I can bring some things up, all right? Is there a precept, a precept, a thus saith the Lord on hair, on guys? Yes, there is, Pastor John, 1 Corinthians 11. It says, it is a shame unto a man to have long hair, right? Where the precept ends is long. Isn't it funny that God never defined long? And I, hey, look, okay. But I want you to hear this. If you go back 300 years, the preachers of our stripe put on a wig to preach. Think about that for a moment. What? We wouldn't allow that in our pulpits today. But yet they felt obligated to do so in their day. Why? What was, what was going on? And, and I'm just trying to say to you, I love you. I'm not going to fight with you about hair. I wish I had some. I'm not going to fight with you about hair. Um, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, historically, I mean, go, go Google some pictures from old preachers that you, you read and think a lot of and then realize that you probably wouldn't let them preach in your pulpit today unless they got a haircut. Why? You know, because we're stuck, we're fixated on things that I believe are principle, not precept. And I am supposed to have enough grace to trust that God can work in the heart of his servants. But I don't find any place in there where God says, cut off the, the, the brother who doesn't eat meat or the brother who does eat meat. In fact, he says, receive him. Right? Because it's not precept. So we're allowed to disagree. We could talk about dress standards and all of the different things that are there. And I would guess if there's, uh, you know, 75 people in this room, there's 75 versions of dress standards in this room, I would guess. And at some, you know, we've all got that line, right? We've all got the line, but we don't know what the line is, really, on precept anyway, because God doesn't. Do we honestly think that God didn't get it? Did God, is God surprised by the 21st century? Oh, I, did, I didn't realize what we're going to be dealing with. I should have put in there details about the dress code. Is that what, did God miss out? Or did God really make us smarter than everybody else? And so he's given us the knowledge, but nobody else. We figured it out. We knew what God meant when he said. 
Think about this. Are we that arrogant? Or do we honestly think that God, and please, I'm begging you not to be offended. I'm begging you. You know, I'm, uh, I'm just, this is, this is the battle that I've gone through, all right? So, on any given Sunday in our church, you'll see a guy in a suit, and you'll see a college student in shorts and a t-shirt. They're all growing at their own rate. I'm going to teach, I'm going to teach the principles that are there, but I'm teaching principles, and I'm going to trust God to do in the hearts of my people because they're his servants, not mine. What God can do. Do I believe the word or not? Do I have enough faith that these people can actually live a Christian life based on what God does in their hearts? I don't know. So, you know, we've got the dress code thing. You know, here's the, you know, say, Pastor, God gives us a dress code. He does. Be modest. That's what he says. Or we can go back to the Old Testament. Don't wear that which pertains to a woman. Don't wear that which pertains to a man. But here's what I've yet to have very many people be able to explain to me. The difference between a robe that a man wore and a robe that a woman wore. Because my understanding of the Old Testament is they all pretty much wore robes. <laughs> okay, I don't, I mean, I mean, I know that there are distinctions. I know there's somebody sitting out here who's really a good Old Testament historian, and you can say, I can tell you the difference, Pastor John, okay? And I'm just going to say to you, I'm really not sure that that's what God meant by that, because I think what God wants us to do is to make sure that we can clearly distinguish men from women and women from men. Which, by the way, brings up another thing. I can remember... Now, it's not true nowadays, obviously, but I can remember when this was taboo in our movement. If you were going to wear facial hair, you weren't going to be part of our movement. That's when I got saved. Nobody wore a beard, and they preached against it. And what's so funny to me about that is that the most clearly, clearly, and easily way to distinguish men from women is facial hair. Right? And yet... (laughs) And yet one of the first things we do is say, you can't wear facial hair. When I, when I went to Bible college, you're going you're gonna to crack up because I'm old, so you know, you're going to crack this up. But we were not allowed to wear wire-rimmed glasses. Because the, yeah, the only people who wore wire-rimmed glasses were the hippies that got, you know, in the 60s, and I got saved in the 70s, and no wire-rimmed glasses. Like, really? Seriously? And our young people, I'm just being honest, our young people are listening to this, and, and they're looking at the scripture, and they're saying, huh? And then we're surprised when our young people don't want to be a part of what we're doing. Let's stand on the book. But let's stand on the book, right? Not on my opinion of the book. Let's stand on the book. Because I am fairly certain that given enough time, all of the dress codes are going to change again. They've already changed about a thousand times, right? You do know that at one point, back in the early 1800s, culottes were preached against in our movement. Did you know that? They were called bifurcated skirts. Skirts cut in half, bifurcated. And then culottes became the standard, right? So we went from preaching against them to everyone ought to wear, oh, girls, anyway, ought to wear culottes. You know, it's like, okay, and I'm, I'm convinced, given enough time, things change, things change, things change. 
But this book never changes. I'm, I'm pointing to my, it's my Bible if you're wondering. So it never changes. So i got to figure out how to stand on the book. I'm out of time, sorry. But 31 years, we haven't had a church split, haven't had a church fight. I'll tell you the last story and I'll be done. This will show you how joyful it is to be in our church. One Wednesday, the property next to us had gone up for sale. We wanted it. Five acres and a house. We wanted it. They wanted $250,000 for it, and we didn't have it. And so, you know, Lord, I mean, I literally had stood on that property five years earlier and said, Lord, if you would give us this property, we'll use it for you. And then it wasn't happening. So on a Wednesday, the family comes over and knocks on the church door. We're having a funeral. I'm not there. So they talk to the church people because I'm at the funeral place, and the ladies are all cooking the meal, and their husbands are helping carry stuff around. So, and said, Dad's getting old. We've got to get him out of this house, and he owes $130,000 on it. If you guys can come up with it, we'll let you have $130,000. It's, it's for sale for $250,000. They're going outside of their, you know, of, of their asking prices. But we're meeting with the lawyer on Monday, and we need a decision. But we're a Baptist church. You know how long it takes for a Baptist church to decide to spend $130,000? <laughs> so I stood up on Sunday morning, and I told the church people for the first time, here's what happened. And I said, I believe God is opening up a door for us. But I don't want to go into debt for this property. So you come back tonight, bring your checkbooks, and we're going to decide if we should buy this property. We took up a $100,000 offering that night, and we bought the property. And we didn't fight about it. We didn't argue. No one stewed about it. No one got upset and left the church. It's now a ministry house and some play area and stuff, and what a joy. We don't have to fight about everything just because we're Baptists, right? You've been listening to a message from the Pensacola Christian College Enrichment Retreat. You're welcome to pass this message along to others, but we ask that you do not charge for it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. If you're a pastor or ministry leader, join us for the next Enrichment Retreat and experience a time of physical rest and spiritual refreshment. To learn more, visit enrichmentretreat.com.